0: Well, good morning, and uh, I'm feeling a little excited this morning to launch us into a a new sequence of messages called the Hope Series. I'm not totally sure where God wants to take us in the weeks and months ahead, but uh, excited to follow, excited to listen for his voice, and to see what God wants to say to us in 2012 from the application of his word on the hillsides and on the mountainsides along the ocean in japan there are stone markers some of them are 600 years old and on those markers there are engraved warnings about tsunamis and the war, the the markers tell the japanese people not to build their homes or any dwellings below this part of the mountain because if a tsunami comes you're going to be in big trouble. People disregarded those warnings. Instead, they started building their homes and their dwellings farther down the mountainsides and closer to the ocean. They figured that all the technology, all the uh, new seawalls that were built and the early warning systems uh, would protect them. Of course, we learned last spring that That wasn't the case. The power of the ocean, so powerful, just swept in and swept everything away. It was so devastating. The event from last spring reminds us that we live in a world that is that is marked by chaos. You don't know what you'll wake up to one morning. You don't know what your world when your world is going to be destroyed when a wave is going to come in and wipe everything away, whether it's a tsunami in Japan or a fire in Edmonton, or something closer to home like an unemployment letter or a bad diagnosis. At some point, uh, we, we will all realize that this world is chaotic and unpredictable, and we are susceptible To all kinds of things. So the question I want to ask this morning is this. Given that the reality of the world is a world marked by chaos and disorder. Is there a solid rock to stand on? When the waves come rushing in and we're absolutely overwhelmed and devastated. First Peter is quite a letter. Uh, It has the word hope written all over it first Peter have you read the book lately uh, it may not be quite as well known as some of the other New Testament writings but the author who picks up the pen some 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is very well known he's probably the most popular well-known of all the apostles the Apostle Peter of course by the way, when was the last time you received a handwritten letter? Kind of rare these days, aren't they? Uh, when was the last time you wrote a letter to somebody and penned two or three pages? I can't remember the last time ever doing that. I mean, it's been so long. When you get a letter from someone, you either check the envelope or you go to the last page of the letter. And the first thing you do is see who it's from. When you get a letter from somebody that you know, you read it a little bit differently than if you get it from a total stranger. Because if you get it from someone you know, you, you can see their face as you, as you read the letter and you can kind of sense who that person is and you kind of have a context immediately for what they might be writing. Sometimes when you get a letter from a total stranger, you're just trying very diff- hard to figure out who they are from what they're saying. Because you don't have a personal context into which you can filter What they're writing to you. I think it's important this morning just to take a little bit of time before rushing into the content of 1 Peter to see who's writing this. So we'll look at the first two verses of of chapter 1 only this morning, but there's so much there. So first of all, getting to know the the author. The first verse from the New Living Translation, uh, this letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, or this letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. That's how it starts. Uh, and you can appreciate the things that Peter writes, and it'll become more clear as we go on. When you know a little bit about him, when, we know, when, when you know what shaped his life. So let's get acquainted with the fisherman, that old fisherman, who is the writer of this book. And there are different parts to his life, his calling, his role as a leader among the disciples, the apostles, of course, his denial, and then his leadership abilities in the New Testament church. But start with me at Matthew chapter 4, actually the video. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him, verses 18 through 20. I'm always amazed at this connection, at uh, how it happened seemingly so quickly with Jesus. One moment, uh, these two brothers are in the fishing business, and the next moment they're willing to set set it all aside and set their career aside and 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 quickly move on commentators have suggested that the men from Galilee have some things in common that they were very courageous men and they were always ready for an adventure William Barclay the commentator of a few generations ago writes quick-tempered impulsive emotional easily roused by an appeal to adventure loyal to the end Peter was a typical man of Galilee. I mean, think of that. It's, it's impressive or, or it's crazy. Peter was ready to drop his nets, wrap up his business in a heartbeat and move on to follow Jesus. I mean, what if somebody came to you today and said, I want you to shut it all down where you're at. I mean, close your business down, close your shop down. You're finished. I invite you to follow me. Close up right now. And come, most of us would say, "Well, it's not that easy. I mean, we've got children, we've got responsibilities. I can't do that. I'm going to have to take some time for some real deep consideration. There may be some on the other hand who would just say, "Just try me. You got me on a day but I leave it all and just be gone." Well, impulsive Peter, he made a, a great decision to follow Jesus. But you see his impulsiveness over and over again in the New Testament. And Jesus looked him in the eye and he said to him, come follow me. I'll teach you how to really fish. I'll, I'll show you how to make a difference in this world. I'll teach you how to become fishers of humanity. And you'll have the privilege of capturing the hearts of men and women and bringing them to the kingdom. What could be better than that? And that's the calling on Peter's life. And this was just the beginning. He's just getting started. And little did he know what was around the corner. <coughs> he had no idea what was to come. Little did he know his journey and, and what it would look like in, in the years ahead. And none of us do. None of us do. I look back when I said yes to Christ uh, for ministry. And you know how we say, whatever you want, Lord. Just, here we are, whatever you want, we'll follow. I had no idea. I'm sure Marg had no idea. But it's been good. It's been good. It's always good when God is leading. And perhaps the picture is becoming more clear for you to totally give your life to Jesus and say, Lord, just whatever. Just, just know that we're here, we're obedient. I promise you This. I promise you this, you won't regret it. Wherever and however God takes you on your journey, you won't regret it. I didn't say it would be easy. Just that you won't regret it. And you'll look back with grace in your heart that He's helped you to become a fisher of humanity, to invest your lives in, in, in the lives of men and women and help bring them another step closer to the kingdom. What could be better than that? Well, another thing that's helpful to know about Peter is that he seemed to be a key person in the ranks of those early disciples. He's listed as the first of the apostles in Matthew chapter 10, verse 2. And I don't think that's by accident. He quickly becomes the spokesman for the the disciples. I mean, he's the guy that's willing to stick his neck out and ask the tough questions. The rest of the disciples are probably asking those questions, but, but it's Peter that actually... Blurts it out. Matthew chapter 15, verse 15. Jesus has just been explaining to his disciples about what defiles a person. And he's been saying, No, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. And verse 15, Peter is scratching his head and trying to figure this out. And finally, he just blurts it out and he says, Jesus, Explain that to us. Explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. I, I think that's what would defile. And Peter jumps right in and, and, and he just says, oh, Lord, tell me how this works. The rest of the disciples were probably thinking of it, but Peter asks it. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, Peter has a question about Forgiveness. He certainly knows that Jesus is the one who forgives. And then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Say seven times? That must be reasonable. And Jesus said, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. But that was Peter, kind of a spokesman for the whole group. You have to love his heart. He didn't hold back. Remember when Jesus was doing a, a kind of a test with his disciples and he was asking the question in Matthew 16, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And after he would asked that question, he said, but who do, you, who do you say that the Son of Man is? Well, it didn't take Peter but the blink of an eye to respond to that question. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. <laughs> what a wonderful response and... How heartwarming to Jesus. Jesus looks at Peter and says, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. And then he says those powerful words, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I'll build my church. (laughs) Peter was Peter. I mean, just minutes later, this wonderful, affirming man of God gets misdirected with his enthusiasm and his strong opinions. Same chapter, Matthew 16, Jesus begins to explain to to his disciples about what was to come, the cross, the suffering, the purpose of his life, the mission that he had, and all that he was going to go through. And remember Peter? Peter looked at Jesus and took him aside. He said, no, don't talk that that way. Imagine that. Peter said that to Jesus. You, stop that nonsense. Heaven forbid, he said to Jesus, this will never happen to you. And this dear man that Jesus loved, Peter, Jesus looked at him and said, get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. You're not seeing things merely from a human point of view. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. We think of Peter, so presumptuous to tell Jesus what was or what isn't going to happen. I mean, but you have to love the man. What you see is what you get. Sometimes he just lacks a pause button on his mouth. But he is who he is. And and yet, this is all part of Peter's life. There would be places in his life that you'd kind of like to just edit it right out. But it wouldn't be fair to do that. In fact, the shaping of Peter's life comes out of the experience of what happened in Gethsemane. These men had eaten the last supper together. Jesus had distributed the bread and he distributed the cup. And then they went out to the Mount of Olives... In Matthew chapter 14, verse 27. And sadly, as they are walking along, Jesus tells them that they will desert him. They will abandon him. And when it comes to crunch time, he says to all his dear friends that none of you will be with me. You will all have deserted me. And Peter couldn't handle that. He must have looked at his fellow disciples and said, even if everyone else deserts you, Lord, I will not. And you remember the words of Jesus. Jesus. I tell you the truth Peter this very night before the rooster crows twice you will deny three times that you even know me no Peter declared emphatically even if I have to die with you I would never deny you and those words would haunt Peter those are words he would have to eat it was the lowest moment in his life And the reality, the crisis was just around the corner. And when he heard that rooster crow the second time, he could count three times that he had vehemently called out, I don't know the man. I don't know him. I don't know him. And he swore. Have you ever been in a situation, well, if the truth were told, you just plain failed. You blew it. You made a decision that you have regretted all your life. Spare all the gory details. You blew it. You failed. I mean, all the information coming in on the Italian captain who was piloting the cruise ship, it's not all in yet, but the early evidence doesn't, doesn't speak very well of his actions. He will live with this all of his life. He deserted his crew and his passengers and he will need grace and forgiveness to live out the rest of his life and to find himself again and to find restoration and healing. When those kinds of tsunamis happen in life, most of us begin to think, oh, we're done. We're done. There's just no way to recover. You're embarrassed. You're angry. You're disappointed in others. And you're disappointed in yourself. You may have denied the Lord, but maybe not like Peter. But it, it could be that you have that sinking feeling of having failed to live up to what Jesus expects in your life. Maybe you've spun out of control and you've said some things that you desperately wish that you could get back. May yeah, I just take these moments to say this morning if that's your heart and you're struggling with that. There's hope. Failure in the past doesn't wipe out the hope there is for the future. You may have the feeling that God has put a great big X over your life. He's done with me. I've failed so badly. I hope you see what happened to Peter And take courage. I hope you see the restoration that came to Peter's life. And how Jesus was not finished with him. But Peter went on to be used as a broken but very open and transparent and usable servant of God. Out of the ashes, Peter came back. Can I take you very quickly to Mark chapter 16? Mark chapter 16 is the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And verse 7 is rather captivating. The angel speaks to the women who came to the grave to find Jesus. And hear what the angel says. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. Oh, wow. Including Peter. There was a special imprint on this invitation designed just for Peter. Ah, including Peter. Jesus would have known that Peter's heart was just breaking. Make sure you tell Peter what's happened, that, that I'm alive and that I've gone to Galilee. And then John chapter 1. This is happening in Galilee. The disciples are out fishing early in the morning. They've gone to Galilee. They've kind of returned to their, to, back to their secular work. They, they're, they're discombobulated. They're not sure what's happening. And, and they're out fishing. And Jesus, someone from the beach yells out to them to put their net down on the right side of the, of the, of the boat. And the net overflows with fish and Peter gets it right away. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. He knows who it is. And then at breakfast comes the healing, restorative moment that Peter needed so badly. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told them. Get back into ministry. Get involved with serving me. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know, I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Jesus was inviting him back to see his role in his ministry. Peter, you're not done. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter, it's time to move forward. Peter, you're not washed up. Peter, I still have a place for you in my heart and in the church. And I want you to press forward. It's time to go for it. You're ready. Get back. Friends, if you need to hear that today, Receive it and go forward. Receive it and get back in the trenches. Receive it and perhaps you need to forgive yourself. Of all the list of people that there are to forgive, you're probably at the top of the list. Hard to forgive myself. Go forward. Take up your position. Like Peter, you're needed. Feed my sheep. And Peter never looked back after that. He never looked back. He's the one preaching on the great day of Pentecost. He's preaching that famous sermon, 3,000 people come to a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ. He's the one who's bold before the Sanhedrin. He's the one who says, we cannot stop talking about everything we've seen and heard. We must obey God rather than man. He's the one who takes the message to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 10. Peter, what a leader. What a future he had. His failure was not the end. In fact, it was just the beginning. He was a broken man. But a broken man or woman before God is a powerful servant and one in whom God can do great things. Uh, you know, do you, do you think back on the day of his calling that Peter could have ever imagined how he was going to be used of God in the years ahead? <laughs> My guess is no. He would have been shocked if somebody would have listed the possibilities of the heights of leadership and effectiveness that Peter was, had would, would rise to. And aren't you amazed and aren't you grateful for all that God did in Peter's life? how he restored him and how he blessed him. And he will do that for you too. As you bow your knee and as you bow your heart in brokenness and say, God, I'm yours. I'm yours forever. You mean that with all your heart. God will do great things in your life. God, I'm yours forever. And, you know, we tend to remember the negative part of somebody's life. When we, they come to the end of their life, we kind of say, well, these are the negatives. Instead of remembering what God did and, and, and seeing that God did marvelous things in, in that person's life. And like Peter, we won't focus on his denial, but rather his restoration. To see what God did in his life as he brought him, brought him through. So this is the man. This is the man who wrote First Peter and 2 and Peter. And it makes a difference to know who the writer is. This is the man who opens his heart to his readers. And when you know something of the paths that he walked, you appreciate why he speaks. As he does, it comes out of his own experience and how God has worked in his life. So secondly, the recipients of the letter. Um, Peter writes to hurting people. And who better to write to a group of people who have been struggling than Peter Because he struggled too. He's been there. He knows what it is to hurt. So consider with me the recipients of the first letter of of Peter. Peter says, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen, Uh, every word he's is significant according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by His blood. Tough times were coming to these early followers of Christ, causing them to have to leave their homeland and move out into other parts of the world, part of the diaspora, part of being dispersed to different places, new places, places that they had never lived before. And they were going through difficult times, and they were feeling displaced. Some translations use the word aliens. They were feeling like aliens, not part of this new land, but somehow being thrust out in here for, for safety from persecution. And in some sense, they were like, like refugees. Reminds me, our first and primary citizenship is in heaven. And not Canada, or wherever we live. We should remember that. That's a lesson that we're reminded of constantly. The temptation to make this country, this city, the place on our street, our destination, is a tug-of-war that we constantly engage in. Do you find it so? While we can argue for the kingdom as our first priority, our lifestyle often says something different. Oh, do we want to settle down here? Do you feel it? We want to settle down here. There, there's a statement sometimes attributed to Jesus, but there's no biblical reference to this. So the writing is really anonymous. The world is a bridge. The wise man will pass over it, but he will not build his house upon it. It's a good, it's a good saying. The world is a bridge. The wise man will pass over it, but he will not build his house upon it. And that's what Peter is teaching. Our life on earth is only temporary. So Peter reminds his recipients that they're chosen. Yes, you're scattered. You feel like aliens in a foreign land. But the good news about that, if there's any good news to be found, is that you're chosen. That God's hand is on your life. And that makes all the difference in the world. I really want you to notice and pick up on that, how important this is to Peter and to us, that we're chosen. Because going through a difficult time in life is made much easier if you, if you at least understand something of what? That, that God wants to be with you and is with you in the struggle and the battle. It makes such a difference. Peter says to all those displaced and hurting followers of Christ, the good news is that God has chosen you. So three things are said about our being chosen. We're told something about its origin in the foreknowledge of God. Chosen in the foreknowledge of God. We're told something about the way it becomes real and actual in our lives. And that's by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And and we're told something about the goal or purpose of our chosenness. Why are we chosen? That we might obey Jesus and go on benefiting from his cleansing blood. I really believe that Peter wants his readers to know that they are aliens in a persecuted world first and foremost because they're followers of Jesus. When you make a decision to follow Christ, you may feel like an alien. You might be treated like a displaced person. You may not be accepted. You may be written off. And you have to realize it's not about you. Don't take that too personally. It's not about you. As much as it is about your allegiance. And Peter knows this. And he's going to really emphasize this alien status and this suffering and rejection. So he begins by saying, this is not the main meaning of your exile. The main meaning of your exile is that God chose you out of this this world. Not man's rejection, but God's chosenness is the main meaning of your life that hit me this week think about that when you can understand that you're, you're walking a tough road as a chosen person does it ever make a difference yes walking a tough road but chosen of God friend if you have a heart to follow Christ you may find yourself like an alien in this world we don't go looking for trouble and we don't try to be obnoxious to bring trouble our way None of that. But simply when you adopt who God is in your life, you just will be at odds with the world many times. And there's no way around that. But rather than being discouraged by that, rejoice that God has his hand on your life and you desire to walk with him. He has called you to walk with him. And what a privilege. Well, just a couple of notes of application This morning, number one, for us to take home, God is always at work in our lives. Preparing us not just for today, but for the future. God's at work in our lives and what's happening to us is not just for today, but it's for tomorrow as well. And from the moment he called Peter, Jesus had him on a trajectory that would impact the world. His life was filled with highs and lows, but in that God found fertile ground and Peter grew by leaps and bounds. Look at your life. Instead of being filled with regret, oh yes, you could look back five years, ten years, twenty years and you, you could say, oh, why did I ever, why did I ever? Instead of being filled with regret, look at how God has brought you through so much. Look at what God is doing in your life. See how he's shaping you and be confident that your tomorrow will be a place where God will use you greatly and believe that. Allow all the hurts and all the pain to not sidetrack you, but to focus you because you're chosen. You're chosen of God. Secondly, take the time to speak your words of encouragement to your world. Take the time to speak your words of encouragement to your world. No doubt Peter was very busy, but he took the time to pick up a pen and to write a letter to hurting people. And can you imagine how that letter must have strengthened and encouraged his listeners and his hearers? Wow, this is a letter from Peter. You know Peter. And this is what he's writing to us. And this is what he's been through and this is what he's telling us. And how it must have buoyed them up and strengthened them to keep going. Why not take the next step? Maybe it means more than a quick hello. I'm praying for you. But some well-chosen words on your part to encourage and to bless someone that you know who's feeling like a refugee these days. Give them something real to hold on to a tangible sign that they're not alone, that somebody out there cares. You could bring hope in the midst of someone's failure and brokenness and maybe they too will rise out of the ashes. Last week, Lynn prayed for little Phoebe. Uh, Phoebe is uh, three years old and has a brain tumor. Her mom is a friend of our daughter, Janelle, lives in the U.S. somewhere, I'm not sure where. And we're getting the emails to pray. Here's the second last email. Last night, we were sitting at a little table in the playroom and Phoebe was coloring her IV pole standing beside her, putting saline into her veins as she played. I watched as two more children entered the playroom, their IV poles trailing behind them, the telltale hair loss of a sign of the chemotherapy drugs coursing through their bodies. I looked at Phoebe with her thick, curly, golden hair and was hit with the realization that we will soon join this special club of children fighting cancer. I will be that mom in the playground in my pajamas who knows all the nurses and can talk chemo protocol with the doctors like one of their colleagues. Our journey will merge with the journey of these families we will learn the names of these children. We will learn the, uh, know the origin of the dark circles under their eyes. We will exchange knowing glances in the corridors of this place. And God will be in it all. We will find him in these halls. We will see him in these faces. We will know him in this deep pool of hope mixed with hurt. He is here for the taking. For the long nights of questions and the bone-weary mornings when our strength fails. He is God with us, and He is. May His strength be made perfect in our weakness. Thank you, everyone, for everything, for praying.